Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Kyle Dvorak from NBC Sports Edge. It's uh, always right about this time of the year, uh, you know, where the, the main event is starting. Uh, the Scott Fishbowl is done. My my pros versus Joes. I I am the boomer who's in the slow draft on on the FFPC pros versus Joes. The underdog's about to do a million dollar prize pool puppy, and uh, it's time to to whittle down the zero running back list. Kyle, it's time. I, I hate that. Uh, you know, I don't know what whittle it down. Uh, I mean, I will. I will have some players that we talk about. Them like, yeah, I, I'm not taking much of this player. Uh, but given how I think plus EV the strategy is, uh, I'm fine. Like you can make a lot of arguments for me. Like this player is a good zero RB. Like I think if you are doing the broad structures of drafting, right, you are better off doing that than trying to pick players. But, uh, you know, I, I still have, uh, you know, like I, as I say that, I'm like, yeah, strategy is really what matters. I'm, but I'm also like, well, 30% Brian Robinson is pretty fair, you know. That's part of the strategy. Well, well, you know, it is it is part of a strategy to differentiate between player archetypes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I still, uh, you know. like Naheem Hines and JD McKissick are very different value propositions than Brian Robinson and Raheem Mostert, for example, right? Like, and you want those guys on different types of teams. I mean, that's really the whole thing with zero RB is that you can't just draft the the James Whites and the Naheem Hines of of the world. So, you know, you gotta have you gotta have guys who can actually win you some leagues. Yeah, that's uh I that's why I'm totally fine with like at the top of my zero RB teams taking like running backs. I really wouldn't draft on almost any other team. Like if I have two good running backs, you'll never in a million years find me drafting like Miles Sanders. Like it's not gonna catch passes, he's gonna have goal line work stolen from him. But like on a team where I literally have uh you know seven picks made and no running backs like I don't know. 12 fantasy points actually does sound kind of nice. Cause that might actually matter. Whereas like on a team with Jonathan Taylor, like dude, don't draft your second running back for so long, but if it's your first running back where you actually need points, like you could convince me that, uh, you know, you do want a Hines or McKissick on your team. Plus, uh, you know, Miles Sanders or Damian Harris. Like I'm not excited to take, uh, uh Damian Harris, but I'm like sweating, getting nine points on a team. I would have been like, well, oh, yeah, Damian Harris scored yeah, touchdown Damian, this week. I could have used that. Yeah, Damian Harris might have been might have been nice, right? That is uh that yeah, yeah, that that's a huge part of it. So I figured the the best way is to uh reverse engineer it. So go basically from the last round to who I expect is gonna be number one on both bar lists, which is Tony Pollard running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so my round, my round 18 guy is well, two guys, Chris Evans and Jeff Wilson. 
are my round 18 guys. Cincinnati Bengals, uh, pass catching bro, Chris Evans, who, uh, you know, they, it kind of this happens every year after a team is shitty for a while and then they get good results. They talk about wanting to save the running back for the playoffs a little bit. We're already getting that a little bit on Joe Mixon. And then the Jeff Wilson thing is um, basically he is probably going to start the season as the number two running back on the 49ers. If he plays well, he'll probably keep doing it. If he gets hurt or sucks, then Tyrion Davis Price, who is also on this list and better than Jeff Wilson, <laughs> is going to is gonna get more touches than him. But, I mean, locking in, I don't know, a couple 11-point weeks from Jeff Wilson in the 18th round, not the worst decision I've ever made. Yeah, Jeff Wilson always, like, whenever he will be, like, inactive one week and then come in and gets goal line work. Like, it's crazy. He will get all of their high leverage touches for this team after not playing the week before. Even, so, even the passing downs, too, which is the yeah. crazy thing. Yeah. He just does all the stuff we care about three times a season. Like, three times a season, he just pops up to get, like, three catches, two touchdowns, and, uh, like, break a slate, you know, in the sense of no one actually had him, so you didn't need him. But, yeah, man, I, I think Jeff Wilson is perfectly fine. With Chris Evans, like, I'm a little, uh, I'm, I'm getting some Chris Evans, but I'm also getting uh, some uh, P. Ryan. Cause P. Ryan. I, I mean, like really, I don't, I'm not confident in saying that Chris Evans is going to play over uh, P. Ryan. Should we see like Joe Mixon go down? Cause that's not what we saw last year. Obviously he was a rookie. Like we expect a player coming into the league who didn't have a ton of reps in college. He was always a committee back in college. We expect him to need time to grow into the role. We expect him to play by year three or whatever, but like, that might not happen this year. He didn't play almost at all as uh, as a rookie. And when he did play, it was just in blowouts. Like he, he legit was like an RB3 who never saw the field. He saw the field in week 18 because they obviously they benched Joe Mix and they weren't playing for anything. But they also benched in like just rest. They also gave Samashi P. Ryan rest in that week. They valued him enough to say, we will not be playing you if it does not matter. And they did that throughout the season. Evans was like only really playing when there were complete blowouts, like nearly 60% of his snaps. If you throw out week 18, because they benched their starters and P Ryan, not really a starter, but if you throw out that he 60% of his snaps came in games that were 20 point or more deficits. Uh, so he, he doesn't play. Didn't, didn't, he could change this. And I think he's good enough maybe to change this, but last year did not show me any signs of optimism per se to make me say oh i you just have to smash him he's the best of the of the final picks because it could totally just be piran goes out and plays some pass plays some like pass blocking snaps and and he goes out and then also gets all the carries and you're really just hoping chris evans like catches a receiving touchdown or gets five catches or something like that so i'm less confident in taking evans over piran i'm taking both uh because i think you want to take these types of, of backups that are just so incredibly cheap. I mean, stone, stone, stone free. Yeah. Just free. And it's very obvious that one player on the offense goes down and one of them, if not both of them could play very large roles. I think even moving, like you could start, you don't even have to start in like round 18. There are players who are like often going undrafted who could have very serious roles. If one player goes down, I have three, uh, Philip Lindsay is probably the second running back on the Colts. On like, the Colts. Yeah. And you're he's not, gonna, not even getting drafted every time, not getting drafted. And I, I doubt they, I mean, you cannot have Neam Hines getting 10 carries. Like what, what, what do you cap him out at? Of course he takes on a bigger receiving role, but Lindsay could step in for like pretty solid two down work, good offensive line, good offense in general. Benny Snell, not getting drafted. Uh, Anthony McFarland was like healthy scratch for Kalen freaking Balazs last year. Like McFarland is not a part of the team. Benny Snell is not particularly good, but they were actually even using him in tandem towards the very end of last year. Najee was kind of banged up in those final two games, like playoff game in week 18. So, I mean, he will get a lot of carries and maybe even some catches. He's not 
a stone nothing as a pass catcher. He's not Gus Edwards, but he's not much more than that. And uh, Matt Breida, like, dude, the the Giants, who, like, tell me anything, any fact you know about Sandro Platzgummer, Antonio Williams, Gary Brightwell, or J- Josh Joshuan Corbin. Do you know a single thing about any of these guys? Sandro Platzgummer is from Austria. And he was uh, like part of like, you know, the, the NFL inter- like, international great, players program. Yeah, that's the only like, thing I know. That's the, that's the only, that's the only thing that's, so, that's all I got. Yeah. That's the so, one fact I can tell you. Yeah. And I thought I knew things about these players too. And I was like, Oh, didn't this player go to this college? And I was just wrong. I just Googled it. I was like, Nope, I don't know anything about these players. Whereas Matt Breed is actually like electric, small volume type of player and would probably be forced to, to play a pretty big role if anything happens to Saquon. So my, uh, my problem with loading up on Breed would be is the Giants seem like a team that's pretty likely to bring in a guy who's on his couch. If Saquon gets hurt, right They're they're a destination for, I mean, I can't even think of a Justin Jackson, you know, miles Gaskin, if he gets cut, by the dolphins, you know, something like that. They, they seem like a likely destination for a veteran were Saquon to roll his ankle again. Yeah. They probably would go out and get someone, but even then you're still like getting the clear number two back on a team that would probably bring in a guy to take away sure. like the more worthless touches. I agree though. You're probably not getting like, you know, you're, you're never going to get the, the Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard outcome, the guy who will be ultimately the RB two slash three. If it isn't Brita, probably not on this roster yet, but uh, you know, they're literally going on draft. And I think there's a pretty big edge probably to be had in taking players who don't get drafted uh assuming they have any real value obviously like not literally do it with any scrub but do it with players who have a, a path it, it's obviously a thin path but a path to value because it's so hard to like think about leverage and like best ball contest or in any any contest but it's so hard to think about it like if you take it as a best ball concept uh, about leverage like there are no players who are quote under owned they're just underpriced by adp but they're all taken dude benny snell ain't getting taken so i like those three players i like uh i like chris evans and uh jeff wilson that you threw out as well beyond that uh you know benjamin kind of interesting we got a, a positive report in i think it was mini, mini camp or otas that cliff said you know he was one of the standouts it was of otas so and he had his good college profile it actually kind of looks a lot like a, a chase edmonds type so kind of like him throwing it in there and then at the very end as well uh, the las vegas backfield i i don't have a ton yeah. of faith in josh jacobs yeah Kenyon Kenyon drake is a really good 18th round pick i have a lot of i love Kenyon drake i don't even mind samira white like we saw like what what offense is famous in the past years for using three plus backs oh it was only the offense that now is completely being exported to las vegas the patriots offense so i think any of them could have uh like standalone weekly value it wouldn't be great value uh, it wouldn't be worth taking josh jacobs where he goes but it could certainly be worth taking zamir white or uh Kenny Drake, who I have, I have a lot of Kenny Drakes. He's just so, so cheap, but uh, Zamir White, I, I think you could throw him in there too. Yeah. All right. Moving up uh, range in price. The the next two guys I really like are uh, any Dolphins, any Dolph, uh, Mostert, Michelle, doesn't matter. Uh, McKinnon, obviously. And then Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams feels like he should be yep. like multiple rounds more expensive. I mean, one, uh, he's got this track record going back like years, whenever the starter misses time, he's really good. Uh, like he was the stone chalk on DraftKings a couple times in 2020 and just like absolutely crushed. So against Houston, 19 carries, 77 yards and a touchdown, five catches, 16 carries, 75 yards against Minnesota, six catches, like just stone smash with Aaron Jones out. And, uh, also had like, not a, not a, and, uh, like an unusable timeshare with uh with DeAndre Swift last season. A lot of people obviously are expecting um the Lions to be a little bit better this year. Now that might coincide with playing Jamal Williams less, but he was over 
32% of the snaps in all but one game that he was active for. He got hurt last year and missed games twice. Uh, uh, Godwin Igwebuki season, mm-hmm. people people may remember. But he, he played quite a bit. Yeah, I actually had him circled as one that, like, it's among the uglier ones where, like, yeah, I, I don't feel, like, an, unless an injury happens ahead of him, like, I don't feel like he's incredibly talented. He's certainly not pushing someone ahead of him for touches just based on his own talent differential, which is a, a big negative versus DeAndre Swift. But like we saw last year, the team didn't really care. We saw like 12 carries, two catches per game. He was like a, a low end RB4, uh, but he goes on underdog right now as uh, the RB55. Like you are just making a small net benefit if you're just looking at like probably projecting his his medium points per game. And obviously it's pretty clear that he would take on a large role and he's a good enough pass catcher to do so if anything happens to Swift. And I like the offense being better than it was last year by a pretty significant amount. So I have him circled as in this price range, uh, a pretty good one. James Robinson goes like at the exact same price. And I really don't uh, feel as confident as like a beat reporters are that he will be ready for week one. Uh, and that he will be as effective as he's been in the past in week one, because it's a pretty tough injury to come back from. Cam Akers has shown us this, but he is so cheap, and he has been really good in his career, and we know that he is probably the one they want if he's healthy, playing like pass protection, so he could even be on the field for more third downs than we would like, as uh, as I assume both of us are ETN stands, but James Robinson, super cheap for a player who's just been nothing but productive since he joined the NFL. Are you getting much of him? I, I, I feel No, because I just will always take Jamal Williams instead. James Robinson's RB 54, Jamal Williams is RB 55. And uh, I also like ETN is a fairly risky selection. Like, I don't think there is a way that having, uh, you know, 16% ETN and 20% James Robinson is like a good portfolio balance. Whereas I do think like being overweight on Swift and being overweight on Jamal Williams, even on different teams is, is like fine theoretically because there it's more contingent value than eating into each other's upside. But if James Robinson hits, it probably means ETN is a horrible pick at his selection. Like probably just, you know, is, is uh Dexter McCluster on the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> you know? So I don't, I don't want to be bet And I'm taking uh ETN at ADP quite a bit or, or at least like want to theoretically. And also it's just like, I don't know. I just think Jamal Williams is a better pick. And I, I think I'll also want a lot of zero RB teams. I kind of want to take Mark Ingram too. Um, and, and he's there most hurts. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not taking James Robinson. Yeah. I haven't been taking James Robinson. So I was trying to get something from you on why I should take him uh, because I mean, he's like been really good. Like, like he, he didn't play the full season. He hasn't played a full season either of his two years, but over a thousand as a rookie and came back to earth a little bit, but he was still super efficient last year, like 4.7 yards of carry seven and eight touchdowns. And he's a good pass catcher. He's not elite ETN should be better, but like if he's a competent pass catcher and a good pass blocker and runs the ball, well, like it's really just health uh, that would really deter and I would say especially from like ETN's perspective like if James Robinson isn't ready for week one and then comes back to look sluggish after like pup list you know be back for week five uh eat like there could be like serious contingent value from the ETN side of like if James Robinson just is not back if he looks at Cam Akers did last year I, I would be hard pressed to see them not using ETN in a massive role so I think though they are more likely to split a uh like a, a committee that neither of them are super value valuable there's still reasonable contingent value that i could see you saying like yeah i I want to if there is a winner of this backfield a very clear winner i'd like to have exposure to them because robinson doesn't need to get all the passing work to pay off his adp or etn could just be super elite so i think it's actually fine to have uh like over the field on both of them i'm not because etn's price has gotten so high that so high yeah it's not like 
I, it's not worth it to take him where he goes realistically for me, at least. I, I don't think so. Like he goes right now, he's going right after like Alvin Kamara. He goes like ahead of Reese Hall, Kim Akers, who, I mean, those players will see so many more touches. You were really banking on ETN being like, a very like not Kamara level efficient, but not far off on a team that was just dreadful last year. And I like buying Jags, but like, I like buying them because Trevor Lawrence is so cheap. The receivers are so cheap. Even Robinson who gets a lot of work is very cheap. Like I, I don't want to already price in all of the upside of the bounce back, you know, versus last year by taking ETN. Uh, so I'm not huge on Robinson, but at this price, I, I'm going to take like zero ETN the rest of the summer. Yeah. I think that, I think that seems reasonable uh Tyrion Davis Price our king we stand I don't actually even really know that much about him he was like a pretty average running back at Clemson yeah. but the the investment philosophy is basically the 49ers spent a third round pick on him Kyle Shanahan is always going to the newest shiniest toy at the running back position uh you know Elijah Mitchell was the shiny I, I mean the the stat that everyone parrots which is amazing is that all five years Kyle Shanahan has been a head coach of the San Francisco 49ers they've had a different lead rusher year over year why not Tyrion Davis Price I mean he was drafted with the same pick the a late third round pick that the team took Trey Sermon with last year and Trey Sermon was a seventh round pick for the 49ers last year yeah, I uh, like for, you know, for the, the that stat, like, yeah, when Raheem Mostert can't play more than eight games in a season and then like Matt Breida as your other running back for, I think, his first year as the maybe it was the second year as the 49ers coach. Like, yeah, it was happen. it was McKinnon. It was McKinnon first. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, we man, that goes back a while. It feels like yeah. at least. But, it, you know, when you have five different running backs, all be your team's uh, number one running back. It does make the time feel a lot longer. Uh, but all those guys are hurt. On the other hand, they have already talked about, like, they want to lighten the, the Elijah Mitchell workload. And maybe that only comes in the, the low-value touches, the, the first and 10 from the 50. And our Ty Davis price shares are racking up a bunch of, like, useless yards without touchdowns, without catches. Like, I'm willing to at least bet on the offense being efficient from a ground game perspective and Elijah Mitchell's workload being lightened, even if it's not in the most exciting way for Ty Davis price to the point that the RB two on the team is valuable. And we have obviously contingent value uh, wouldn't bet on like this team having a, a ton of running back targets really. And if they are, it's just going to like, you know, you'll pull up a side like, wow, they actually threw the running back a lot. It's, it's Kyle use as it turns out. I, I always think like, Oh, well they actually throw to the running back every now and then, but it, it's, it's not who you want it to be. So I, I definitely think Ty Davis price is a good pick. Although I don't think like, I'm not sure I see like league winning upside from him. Although, you know, you don't have to find league winning upside from players at this back of the range. I love Mostert that you called out. Weak, too. weak, so weak winning, weak winning yeah. upside though. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty important. I mean, um, that's, when you're this cheap, you don't need to, to win your whole league. Just like, give me four usable weeks that are predictable or if they're in best ball, they don't have to be predictable. So I think there's like a pretty big tier break there. Uh, again, working backwards from like the, the TDP Gus Edwards Gainwell. I think there's a giant tier from Rashad White at running back 39 to Daryl Henderson at running back 44. White, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison, Isaiah Spiller, Damian Pierce, Daryl Henderson. I think if you told me that one of these guys is like the guy you had to have, like you you you, you were not making the final or not winning the final without him, I, I, like I would make a pretty big bet on that. I bet like even money that a running back from this range is on the winning team. Um, you know, their massive contingent value with Rashad White, contingent value with Ronald Jones, but maybe standalone value, like maybe he's just the goal line back. Madison, probably the best non-Tony Pollard contingent value guy in football. Isaiah Spiller, I mean, who knows, right? We've done this. 
a million. Like, how many times have we done this, right? With Chargers backup There's, running backs, the right? The other Chargers backs are so bad, though. They're so bad. That's like that's why that's why Justin Jackson's good, but Justin Jackson also was the one who kind of broke the mold, where like everyone saw he pop up for a good game, uh, like efficient on like medium to small volume. The other guys are like like Kalen Balaj got touches for the Chargers at some point in the past two years. I don't know when and it was, was good. Was good by the way. It was like a fantasy <laughs> starter when he better was- than Josh Kelly immediately or whoever was on that team. Uh, so yeah, like Spiller should easily easily be the best of the non Eckler guys they've had in, in a few years. So uh, yeah, I, I like him to hopefully break that mold of these guys just being like, they are real uh, like Mike Tolbert types up until Spiller. Yeah. And in, in 2020, Kalen Blage had consecutive weeks of 15 for 69 with a touchdown, 18 for 68 with six targets, 16 for 44 with nine targets. I mean, this team is just crying out for anyone to, to, because the, this is a sharp team. They know they don't want to give Eckler a million touches and bang him up and run him yep. between the tackles. And it's why they drafted Josh Kelly and uh, signed Kalen Balazs. And who was the guy? There was a guy before. Uh, there was a guy before. Jo- uh, Larry Roundtree. They drafted Larry him too. Roundtree. Like they've, they've tried this and none of these guys have worked. So maybe Spiller is the guy. And Spiller would have standalone value. And maybe because these other guys are such shit, Roundtree and Kelly and all these guys are so bad. I mean, he would have, I mean, maybe Spiller is the best contingent value guy. It Maybe he's better than Madison contingent value wise. Yeah, Spiller, I mean, it's hard to be better than Madison contingent value wise. Like Madison averages like upwards of 20 carries and like something like five targets a game whenever uh, Dalvin Cook is out. So it's hard to really beat that unless you're Tony Pollard, who is like that role, but also like looks like one of the best running backs uh, in terms of efficiency that we've seen recently. So uh, I'd say Madison is still pretty clearly tier two. And Madison, like, I mean, the thing that is different between Madison and like Spiller, Daryl Henderson, maybe Rashad White, maybe Ronald Jones is that I think it's really, really unlikely that we get any standalone value. No, from no Madison. standalone value. It's not unless happening. The Vikings are winning by like 50 points is the only yeah. time him and cook are both getting there in the same game. But he's also the one most likely to give you like multiple 30 point games uh, in a season, because anytime we don't have Dalvin cook, like I, I've, I've heard some chatter about this Chandler guy. I'm just, I want to put it on the record. I don't buy it. Like Madison is there. There is no organizational reason for them to not use Madison the same way he's been used the last four seasons or three seasons. There's, there's no point. Like Madison is the, the handcuff. Yeah. I totally uh, would not buy this, this Tyson Chandler character who had like one good season at college in his fifth year, uh, like a, a super senior breaking out after transferring to North Carolina and still didn't see a ton of carries. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not buying this guy. This, this mystery man as anything other than like not training camp fodder, but like the long-term, I think Madison actually might be coming up on a contract year as well. I think he, he is he a free is. agent next he year. Is. So like, I think it's reasonable to say this guy is like, Oh, deep, deep dynasty stash, right? He could jump Kenny to Wangwu, who is like uh, uh, just a kick returner or whatever, I think. But a really uh, good one, a really good, good kick yeah, yeah, he's good at that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, buying Ty Chandler as uh, you know, the, Two second year replacement to be the handcuff type of guy. Sure, I can buy that. But this year uh, would just kind of baffle me to see that happen because Madison's been really good. Like he he looks like seventy percent Dalvin Cook or whatever. He's not as like breaking tackles and long run type of guys. But he gets the job done. He can catch passes. He can handle the workload. So it's worked so far for the most part. I would not uh, expect the team to do any different. So yeah, I, I get a lot of Madison. He is like the 
super zero RB guy just every year until he changes teams. I will be taking a lot of Madison. I mean, the same thing. People said the same thing about Madison last year. Oh, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe it's Ken A. You know, it, it's Madison, right? It's just, it's, yep. it's, it's just, it's just him. Right. Um, and then, and then the, the Daryl Henderson ADP is maybe the most mystifying because same thing as Madison. I mean, we literally saw him do it last year. Cam yep. Akers hurts his Achilles. He does it. I, I mean, people are, uh, the, the market is rightfully or, or wrongfully, I, I don't know, uh, pushing back on the fact that Henderson seemed to get injured about every 17 seconds yeah. as a starter for the Rams. He just kept every, it'd be like, he'd limp off and come back. I mean, he was a top 10 fantasy back in points per game in games he started. And then they went to Michelle and then by the Super Bowl they had to go back. They had to go back to him playing third downs because Akers and Sony couldn't move. They just, they were not, they, they had no explosion and they just needed something. Um, so Daryl Henderson, I think Daryl Henderson played 40% of the snaps in the Super Bowl. If I, if I remember correctly, I'll, I've hold I'll, up. I'll I knew that I have it. Uh, 32%, five targets, four carries. If you can get five, like, uh, like per game, like this was probably uh, a better, you know, two good offenses playing each other. You'll probably get a, a bit better pace. Like if you can get like four, four or five care or four or five targets, uh, you know, convert to have three or four catches just a handful of carries find the end zone every once in a while as the backup. And then obviously the contingent value, like that would really send him from being not like, you know, Madison Pollard level, but like the tier two level of gets a lot of work when the starter goes out, but it's not that useful otherwise to being uh, slightly useful whenever the starter is there and supremely useful when the starter is out. Like that is a, a really good upside case to have. And it all takes place on an offense that obviously we want to be targeting a ton of. So I, I think Henderson's a, a pretty strong pick at his cost. Uh, but, you know, given my proclivity for like fading running backs for like a stretch of rounds three, four, five, and six, uh, I'm not going to push back on a ton of these players because uh, I think generally finding the, the breakout guys like in the range, like I don't know exactly if it's going to be Rashad White, Ronald Jones or whatever, but like it's the range we want to be targeting. So I won't be pushing back on a, a ton of these because I think, you know, drafting structurally and taking the right types of, you know, archetypes of players is where we want to be at. Because of that, though, I'm not really like, I don't find myself getting like any Liam Hines or Michael Carter. Like, why? I'll, would I'll you- take I'll take Hines a little bit just because they're really talking him up right now at camp. Like, uh, like, oh, we want to set him. Oh, we want to set his career high. Uh, who is uh, Matt Ryan might be the biggest check down artist at quarterback in the league. Is it does any is anyone more of a of a checkdown king than Matt Ryan? I mean, he there were games where Corderell Patterson and Mike Davis were combining for like 14 targets last season. And uh they don't like Jake, like Jonathan Taylor doesn't really run routes for them. They they do not really target him. Um, and that's and and they don't really have uh any second wide receiver to speak of. You know, they draft Alec Pierce, they have Paris Campbell, Jack Doyle retires, like uh not not theorizing that they'll have both of them out there at the same time, but just that they're like Jonathan Taylor's going to get all the important ground rushing work. But I think Hines might find himself in a 70 30 with some high value touches coming in those 30 when he's out there. Yeah. I'm not really on Hines. Cause like, obviously I don't think Carson Wentz is like peppering his running backs with targets, but like, He's not drawing dead to give his running backs targets. It's not like he would never consider throwing to his running backs. The Colts were like 13th, I believe, in running back targets, just total team running back targets last year. The thing was, Heinz, his just target share was at a career low. And though I don't think Jonathan Taylor is the type of back like Christian McCaffrey, where he plays 100% of snaps, you never take him off the field, and he runs routes. Like he looked, again, good as a pass catcher last year out of the backfield. And I would imagine that it's just the simple utility of you don't tip your hand as to what you're going to do whenever you have Taylor out there if you think he is a comp 
competent, a good enough pass catcher. Sure. And on yeah. top of that, obviously, like, dude, get him out in the flat versus a 5'10", 195 corner and have him murder them on a, on a screen. So Hines' target share at a career low last year, to me, pointed to the team saying, like, yeah, he still has a, a use case where we want Hines out there, but it, it's probably when you know that you're not running with Jonathan Taylor, so it's okay to tip your hand, third and 10. You're not going to need to disguise what you're going to do. We know what you're going to do. So I think Hines is fine, but, like, why wouldn't you just take J.D. McKissick? Because so, so, so much later, I don't really see that there's a big difference. Sure, the offense is better, right? But I'm not really seeing the upside for Hines relative to some of these other pass catching backs. I think fill a similar enough role that I'm not worth, it's not worth buying the Colts offense. It's not the best offense, right? If it was a pass catching role for, you know, for Patrick Holmes or whatever, sure. But then also just take Jeff McKinnon. So I really haven't gotten much Hines. Not a ton of Carter either, just because I think, Again, I'll take I'll take McKissick. I'll take McKinnon. Even Kenyon Drake is risky. Chris Evans is risky, but they could their upside could be that they fill that same kind of role. Yeah, so it's I'm, like it's I I see what you're saying. I mean, Hines is like you you just feel really confident in Hines's role. But Kenyon Drake or Chris Evans or whoever, James White, Brandon Bolden, they could replicate his statistics. You know, one out of every ten times the season is played or whatever at at a fraction of the cost. Yeah, but then Hines can never replicate the ceiling of a Madison or even a Daryl Henderson who go a few picks ahead of him. Even like the the Kenneth Gainwell upside is like, Kenneth Gainwell could be like, uh, you know, we could be talking about him like we talk about Tony Pollard in a year's time, where he's just so incredibly efficient and the team just doesn't want to give him the ball, but we want him to get the ball because he was efficient last year and he's efficient dating back to college and he can both run and catch. So uh, like, I I think you're lacking upside, but you're not gaining like, that much of an edge over the McKissick picks. Like he's a better pick. He will project for more points than JD McKissick. That's not really the argument I'm trying to make. It's yeah. just like, does he give you that much more than that? Or like Daryl Williams, if Daryl Williams ends up playing the, the pass catching role of Chase Edmonds or whatever, that if I'm taking a running back this high, like leave it to a zero RB person. Like if I'm taking a running back in the top 40 running backs, top 120 picks, whew, they gotta be great. But uh, they, they gotta do. I'd rather have the, the Alexander Madison, even Ronald Jones. So actually, I'm not a huge fan of Ronald Jones. I know uh, apologies to Damn, dude. friend of the show, Pat Corain, especially, but like, uh, you know, you should probably make a decent amount more than the veteran minimum to, to be fantasy viable. We really hate, we really hate to see it. Oh, I'm not, not sure how the rest of this episode is going to go. Like, um, so that the market, like the market is very clearly telling us the NFL's market is very clearly telling us that Ronald Jones sucks. He spent four years with a team. That team looked at him when he hit free agency. He was like, nope, nothing to do with him. The team that has the most information on him said, nah, not even going to consider it. We're going to draft a running back instead. We're going to yeah, resign but dude, that, I mean, that is, that is the, that is the case with, that is the case with uh, like all like CJ Anderson was sat his ass on the street for a year gained uh, according to him, 25 pounds of sympathy weight with his pregnant wife. And then uh, uh, put Todd Gurley on the bench as the Rams made a run to the Super Bowl. Like it doesn't matter. They have a very important thing to remember when you're talking about running backs, like post pick 120 is uh, it really does not fucking matter. Really all that matters is that these guys are out there because so much of their skill sets and production is so similar. He goes on the line where like, it does matter though. Cause he goes as pick one, you're right at where he is. He's at pick 120 where like, I can actually have some ability to discern the talent between him and Madison and between him. Madison, and I, I will put it on the record. Madison is way better than him. 
yeah. And like, that's, I think that, that, that matters. And overall, we actually can use uh, salary as some sort of a proxy for like how much these players actually have decent hit rates. And I think in the past five years, there have been five running backs. I think it's five in the past five years, making under 3 million in a single year, uh, just like their average uh, contract value to finish as the RB 30 or better. Now you don't need Ronald Jones finished the RB30 because he's going as the RB40. But like when that is your ceiling and you're not going that far ahead of uh, that far behind that ceiling is going as RB40, that's 10 picks behind. Like I, I don't feel great about him absolutely crushing his ADP. I would just take like a, a Jarek McKinnon instead on the same team. I think Jarek McKinnon is just as mediocrely talented, but uh, the cost is, is so much cheaper. So I only say this with Ronald Jones because I get the idea, but like when you're getting this high in the draft, like there are probably actual good players you can take. Like James Cook could be really good. Melvin Gordon is very good. He's not great. He's not better than his teammate, but he is a good NFL player. CPAT is awesome. Uh, Ronald Jones is just not. So I think there, I think there's another clear tier break uh, before Rashad White. And it is, uh, I think it's a tier of guys that goes, uh, well, Let's say let's say there's two tiers inside of the big tier. So I think the big tier is massive, and I think it goes all the way from Clyde Edwards Hilaire at running back 28 to Cordarell Patterson at running back 38. Ten guys where it's all a very similar bet. Timeshares to some degree. Some of the guys are there because of bad offenses. Some guys are there because the playing roles are not defined yet. CH, Damian Harris, Rashad Penny, Kareem Hunt, Chase Edmonds, Devin Singletary, Ramondre, Ken Walker. James Cook, Melvin Gordon, Cordero Patterson. Um, my my favorite of this group is uh, CH and Ramondre, and I'll be taking no further questions about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at this time. Uh, yeah, I have like a lot of notes on a lot of these players, little tidbits, and uh, like, look, there's not a really positive argument I can spend about what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has done in his career. But uh, like- What about it, the gallbladder surgery, bro? What about the gallbladder? A, I wouldn't say it's a good thing necessarily that he's done. I'd say it's an excuse for the bad things he's done. That's that's uh, all. That's all I need. I, that's all. I just need a small excuse. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Is that this is the profile of the running back we want in a, a sort of thousand foot view. We want running backs on good teams who have proven at some point in their career to be able to handle three downs and could score a lot of touchdowns, and they're not expensive, right? He's clearly the RB1 on his team on maybe the best offense in the NFL. If not, top three is is kind of, you can't even push it past that. And he's going as the RB28. And it's not like, like I just laid out the case for why like Ronald Jones is is a nothing. The team has so little value on him that they're barely paying him above the vet min. And the same is even more true with Jarek McKinnon. And like we saw Jarek McKinnon, uh, they were just waiting and waiting to sign him because they probably didn't really care to, to bring him back that much. Oh, you know, none of the running backs that we care about in free agency are, are on the cheap. I guess we'll bring Jared McKinnon back months after free agency or whatever. So to me, if his competition is is so weak that the whole NFL market, uh, like just the teams are not paying them anything, it's a pretty strong chance for him to separate himself, even if, uh, you know, on a more micro level, he has not shown anything that would say he should separate himself. And, you know, dating back, we have to go back to college to find that player. Yeah, I mean, the 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 argument, I guess my my primary argument for him would be one, he plays for the Chiefs, two, Ronald yeah. Jones and Jarek McKinnon are making like no money. Yep. Uh and then three, it would be if this gallbladder thing is true. I mean, just like that's good, that's just an excuse my brain can latch onto for why he was <laughs> such shit and why why he he seemed to be out of shape, why the team has not trusted him in high leverage situations and 
that's it. But really, really, the only thing that's important is he might play 65% of the snaps for the Kansas City Chiefs, who don't have Tyreek Hill and might need to use their running backs more than they have in the years past. I mean, this is what we saw with Leonard Fournette and James Conner last year. Like, no one thought James Conner was particularly good. He was a grinder who could kind of catch passes in a pinch. Leonard Fournette, uh, it would have been like two years ago now that we saw his first like glimpse of being a high talent running back dating back to like early Jaguars days was again, like the team cut him. We were like, Oh, well, you know, the Jaguars don't even want him. He's been just a a real bruiser, nothing back in his career, but they join good teams with ambiguous backfields where they clearly have the uh, profile to handle work on all three downs. They don't have to be that good on all three downs. Just play three downs for the bucks, just play three downs for the Cardinals and you can finish as a league winning running back. And now Clyde Slayer is so cheap that we can easily make that argument for him that his talent is becoming less and less important because he is not, he's not a first round pick. Uh, you know, man, long, long are the days where we were arguing about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over Jonathan Taylor because the situation was simply so good in Dynasty, you couldn't pass up on him. But now the cost is so cheap that you don't need him to be that good. You need him to play a lot of snaps on an offense that's very good. And that feels like it could be the, just the baseline for him. And he could be good too. Maybe he's good. Where do you stand on Penny versus Walker? Uh, probably shouldn't take these uh, running backs in like the worst team in the NFL is, is where I'd, I'd put it. The, the offensive line could probably yeah, be but- the worst... <laughs> The offensive line should probably be the worst in the NFL. I think PFF ranked them as number 32 heading into the season. They will probably be starting two uh, rookie offensive tackles, at least one with Charles Cross. And weirdly, both of their tackles, the big knock on them coming out of college is that they played in one of them was the Mike Leach scheme. The other one was like Washington State or whatever, where they don't run block nearly as much as players who play as many snaps in general. They're just pass blockers. Uh, So they have two players stepping up from college to NFL who do not have a lot of experience run blocking relative to their peers coming in at the same sort of level of playtime. And the interior of the offensive line is terrible. Not really an upside case outside of like the rookies completely ball out. So offensive line should be terrible. The offense as a whole with, uh, I assume, Drew Locker, Geno Smith, should be terrible. They'll be losing a ton. They have one of the lowest win totals in the NFL. And I still think it's perfectly fine to bet under on that because they are garbage. Uh, and they call plays and, you know, I guess like calling runs more often is good for a running back, but I would imagine it reaches a breaking point where if your offense is playing in such a backwards 1980 style that like the first and 10 runs are great to get you the first four yards of your drive for your 0.4 fantasy points. And then you realize it stops you from ever reaching the red zone and you're just dusted. So I, I actually don't really have much of either of them. I guess if I had to take one, I, w- I would take Penny. It seems like all the reports from early in the offseason have said it's, it's very clear he'll be the primary back. Not sure how much I buy into that, but, uh, you know, it's the information we have to work with. Really, though, I, like, don't draft Seahawks is, is kind of my motto. What about uh, Ramondre versus Damian? I'm, I'm definitely team Ramondre. Uh, I think the James White starting on the pup news is pretty good for him. It, it has impacted his price quite a bit. Uh, now, I, I need to tell people, beware of the Pierre Strong FUD. It's out there, but it's not coming from the team. All this conjecture about Pierre Strong is coming from beat writers. Uh, the, the, the most recent one was a Mike Reese piece where it was just quoting Pierre Strong's college head coach. So uh, take, take that with a, a big... Uh, grain of salt would be would be my take there yeah uh, conversely when you can get running backs on teams who run the ball a lot with a good offensive line and can pass well when they choose to pass uh, even if it's not that incredibly often I have no problem taking them which is why I have I don't have a ton of Damian Harris but he does fit the bill of like if he is your first running back you feel pretty good about getting some points every week we're like I love Tony Pollard 
but it is difficult to have no running backs. And then your first running back is Tony Pollard, where you are like, not sure if I'm scoring any points this he, week. He actually makes a ton of sense on hero RB teams. Yes, that's where I think he is best. Though I still think like the league winning upside is good to take him on every team because he's Tony freaking Pollard. But yeah, exactly. You feel much better about the archetype of Tony Pollard. We're like, yeah, there's totally weeks where he goes out, gets two targets, doesn't catch him, three carries, seven yards, not useful because they just refuse to not play Zeke or to yeah not play Zeke. And that's going to be detrimental to your team if he is your first running back. If you have... Austin Eckler or whatever. And you were like, yeah, I have one running back completely solidified. I'm going to tandem a bunch of mediocre guys for that second spot. Love Tony Pollard. Still get Tony Pollard on zero RB teams because I like him a lot. But Harris is kind of the opposite where like, yeah, you're never going to get the, uh, you know, running back one goes down at the beginning of the season. Tony Pollard is like a first round pick instantly. There's not really a scenario in which you get that for Damian Harris, even if Ramondre goes down, uh, it doesn't happen, but he's just being drafted at such a discount to where he finished last year. He finishes the RB 13. He scored a ton of touchdowns. That's how you do it. Uh, if you're not going to catch passes, but he finishes the RB 13 and now he goes as the RB 29. If you just take half of his touchdowns last year and throw them in the garbage, he only scored, I think he scored 15. Half of them never happen. He still finishes the RB 25. You can cut his touchdown rate in half and you're still getting a slight discount onto what he did. And I think this is an offense that at least we can project to be pretty good. They were like really good in EPA per play and DVOA. And that was with a rookie quarterback and less weapons than they had. They will have this year. So to me, uh, Harris, not the most exciting pick, but he's a good running back. He plays for a good offense. Should have a lot of goal line work. I don't really see why he goes as late as he does. Um, I mean, it's just like, well, people are really excited about Ramondre is definitely sure. Yeah, that, that's of part it, of it. Yeah. Right. And I, I like yeah. Ramondre too. I get a decent amount of both and not really on the same team too much though. They could both just be good standalone values. Uh, even if each other are healthy, but I, I do think you'd probably prefer not to have them, but like people taking Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, even AJ Dillon, who I love, uh, I, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris over all those players, not even like particularly close to me, honestly. You know, I do, I do, uh, I, I do want to touch on this, which is like, I could totally see Antonio Gibson fucking burying us losers because we all loved him last year, right? Oh, he might catch passes and get the goal line work. And, and then now we're absolutely certain that he's worse than Josh Jacobs when like, dude, he's still Antonio Gibson, you know? It's like, it's like, he's still this sick freak athlete who can do all these things and score 70 touchdowns and maybe... JD McKissick is just no good. And maybe the coaches are lying about Brian Rob using Brian Robinson. Right. And Gibson, the, the thing is, is we don't even have to guess on what would happen if McKissick was eliminated from the offense. Cause he got hurt last year and Gibson was the fucking nuts. He just, he played the whole game, got all the important touches. Like, so I don't know. I I'm starting, I'm starting to get some cold feet on this Gibson fade that I have going I, a, a big part of it being, you get on the clock in the seventh round, and if all the quarterbacks are gone, there's just no one you want to take. There just is literally not one. Like, look at what the, the seventh round is right now on underdog. It is just a list of players. You do, like, It's so bad. Gibson, Hopkins, Drake London, Miles Sanders, the quarterbacks, Renfro. I mean, I do, Alan Lazard, wide receiver 39. What the fuck are we doing, dude? How is this his ADP? This is absurd. Uh, you could say about seventh round is too. bad. Uh, I, I think that's yeah. This is a, a truly atrocious round. I like Drake London in this spot. Um, yeah, Drake he, London's fine. Drake you London's named, fine. He's you fine. named a lot of players, and I could find like one of them that I was really excited to take. It's so Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas, bro. 
Uh, how do you know Michael Thomas actually set the single season receiving uh, reception record? He hasn't record. played in two years, dude. The last time Michael Thomas scored a touchdown, no one in the United States had been inoculated against the novel coronavirus. That's true. Look uh, it up. Oh yeah, I believe I believe that for sure. It's been a while. Uh, he, yeah, man, it's it's not great. Uh, I get why you would take Michael Thomas there because you can kind of make an argument for any player who is three years ago uh the best receiver in the league uh as far as gibson goes the good news is uh his, his adp just keeps falling in the past few days it's down another few picks so the more we wait it seems like the less we can be punished if we choose to to can i can i make this. an admission can i make an admission on this show i'll allow it i've started to value hound josh jacobs a little bit that's disgusting. I actually have to go. I have a thing. When going when on Josh right now. when you're on the clock at 82 and Josh Jacobs is there, I mean he's dude he's got a, a, a 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns pays off that so easily. Yeah, I mean sure if he makes the 82, his ADP right now is 62. So if he goes 20 picks, that's up, that's I, what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm never taking Josh Jacobs to ADP. I think he's one of the stone worst picks. But when when Miles Sanders and Tony Pollard are going ahead of him. Sure. I mean, like that, that is literally like 20 picks below ADP. I think you can make that argument for nearly any player uh, though. Alan Lazard and Hunter Renfro, I would not include in that group that we just named, but yeah, sure. You can make an argument for any, any player, 20 picks behind ADP. And especially well, that's, as, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm jamming him. I'm saying I'm value having him a little bit. Yeah, I, you could. I, I sure that's that's fine. Like I'll value hound most players if they fall that far, and especially in the context of like uh, you know a zero RB roster as we're talking about. Like, yeah, Josh Jacobs is the perfect. Uh, Josh Jacobs is the perfect guy who is a really good bet to get you twelve points in any week. And like we said, like you do need some of those players. If you take Pollard, Madison, Gainwell, uh, Mark Ingram, all these guys who like could really go out and just score you zero points in a week. Uh, you're just drawing dead for the first four or five weeks of the season and, and you're really clawing from behind at that point. Uh, so yeah, I think Josh Jacobs is a guy who I think you should go like where you are talking about. And I think he makes sense as that type of pick, uh, but he goes like one, he goes one running back slot ahead of Elijah Mitchell. He goes, he should be going where like just behind like Damian Harris or whatever or with Damian Harris. He should play a similar role on an offense. Actually, ironically, pretty similar. So yeah, at, at the right price, any player is viable. And Josh Jacobs, 100% is another guy who like, his ADP is not climbing. There's no, what, what news are we getting that his ADP is going to go up? So I, uh, I think it's fine, especially later in the summer for someone like him, someone like Gibson, who you're totally right. Like, should we lose McKissick again? Yeah. Even if we are like losing some of the between the tackles touches to uh, Brian Robinson. Or what if, or what if they're just like, you know what, this McKissick shit, like, what's the point? Uh, I'm like, sure, sure. You could say that for literally anything though. I think it needs to have a little more concrete information than like, what if this happens? Uh, like, but, but, because but it doesn't though, because Gibson is one of the, like, I don't see, I don't foresee any scenario this season where Josh Jacobs gets all these high value touches and finishes as a top five running back. No scenario, right? Kenyon Drake could catch the plague. Brandon Bolden could break his leg whatever they and they just wouldn't do it they would bring someone else in they'd play Jalen Richard they'd play a fullback third down snaps like the 49 like just would not happen right but, but Antonio like, Antonio I need, Gibson, I need a reason I need a reason that JD McKissick wouldn't get played because he got a ton of play last year and he's, he's a good bad he's a he's good bad. pass catcher he's perfectly fine as a pass catcher he's just not he's just not like he just is not he's just not adding anything you know but like your argument for now is like playing a fullback uh, instead of Josh Jacobs. That guy is not adding anything. Playing Kenyon Drake probably doesn't add anything. But uh, that's to me, like I, that's I get the what, idea. 
of imagining all these scenarios. But, like there has to be some underpinning of why it could happen. I don't think it's very likely that McKissick just completely disappears. They gave him like a, a like they matched the, the Bills offer and actually stole him back from the Bills. And they've used him that way in, in the past very clearly when they had Antonio Gibson. It's not like Antonio Gibson is not a good receiver, at least in, in theory. He was literally a receiver in college. He's literally a receiver. So, I mean, so to me, it seems like a very clear philosophical thing that like, Gibson is getting his touches split on purpose, maybe for his health, or maybe because they just like McKissick. Uh, I need a little more of a concrete reason than. Well, um, I'm what not going to give it. I'm not going to give it to you. You got it. You got to just work with what I'm giving you, which is <laughs> which is what if. What if? I, I mean, Gibson's fine. I actually, I mean, I'm not taking him much, but if he falls behind ADP and his ADP is right now falling, he's down a few picks in a week or so. Uh, Perfectly fine. And we like, like you said, totally an upside scenario where if McKissick gets hurt, I 100% buy. It's not going to be Brian Robinson. We saw it last year. He actually becomes that super workhorse type of player. But the team brings McKissick back. They draft Brian Robinson, who's a workhorse in college. They made it very clear that they don't want to give Gibson through their actions. Like teams only give us so many chances to be honest with us when they can just like lie to our faces in press conferences. They told us with their, their resources, teams have finite resources and they spent them on taking touches away from Gibson. So uh, I'm not huge into Gibson. I would kind of just take the other uninspiring, uh, like probably not super league winning upside, but high floor of touches guys like Damian Harris. Uh, Kareem Hunt actually is one I don't understand in any universe why he is going so late because we do think he probably has league winning upside where in, only in the scenario where Nick Chubb goes down. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people think he might get cut or traded as well. I I have not been able to find like any real evidence of this. It's just, it's just, it's just contract um, like chicanery, basically like people, like people yeah, like they reading in between like the lines. Four or six million by cutting him. Uh, it's not like they need the cap space right now. They're, I assume like all their draft picks are signed or whatever. They're not like, like the Falcons, I think a year or two ago, like almost could not sign their draft picks. They were so broke. Uh, they're, they're not like in some weird situation like that. Teams obviously want to uh, like not spend money that they don't think is useful, but like Kareem Hunt is good, has been involved in the offense ever since they brought him in. And uh, I just don't see really why they would cut him. And you don't see any of the beat reporters really heavily pushing this really much at all. I didn't see anything on like the athletics roster projection, ESPN's roster projection, and a few others that even like mentioned him getting cut. I think of anything, it's pretty obvious that it would be Dearness Johnson, who I, I think Dearness Johnson is awesome but it was two games like it was two games no 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 you're you're wrong because they can save all of cream hunt's money by cutting him whereas dearness johnson is is it counts one million dollars against the cap and they might if this if this jimmy uh if this jimmy g fan fiction thing with deshaun watson being suspended comes true they will they will need to move off some money to to acquire jimmy garoppolo yeah, I think that's like we're the, we're really deep in the weeds on on yeah, this right like, now. Yeah, I yeah. I I put I put both Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson being on a different roster in Week One within the realm of possibility enough to think about it while drafting. Uh, you mean both like each one of them could end up on a different well, roster? Not one of them time. could one yeah, of them yeah. could for whatever what other reason? Yeah, well, whatever. like what do you think the odds are that Kareem Hunt is not on this roster? I think it's pretty thin. I think it'd be more like likely to 10, be 10, 15 percent. Yeah, that's fair. But like, that is a pretty small outcome. And the other 90% are like, he averages a dozen fantasy points a game. That's his average when he's playing alongside uh, Nick Chubb, I believe. Uh, you know, he averages like, you know, 10 points a game, cracks your roster every now and then. And then anytime Chubb goes down, he's getting like 20 carries and hopefully targets. He actually didn't see a ton of targets in like the five games they lost Chubb. But I, I 
it was it was weird they just put him in the chub role and then played dearness johnson in the hunt role yeah i would assume though that i mean even still dude put him in the trouble awesome like he can lead the league in rushing in the shovel role chub can lead the league in rushing rushing and kareem hunt has done it before he would be awesome in that role maybe not as good as chub but it's, it's close enough right so to me kareem hunt going as late as he does giving you perfectly fine rb3 standalone value and really awesome contingent value uh like uh, he's like, I, I hate to say it because I love Tony Pollard. Like, I would take him over Tony Pollard. Yeah. Um, all right, dude. Let's get out of here. Uh, that that was a good list. And we didn't, like, just the Tony Pollard is like the, uh, uh, Tony Pollard, he's like the the unseen character offstage in a play. It's like, we don't even have to get into it. Like, if you made it this far in the podcast. Yeah, you know who Tony you know. Pollard is. Tony Pollard is the best running back in Dallas by a pretty considerable margin and the most underutilized running back in the league. Uh, Godspeed, Tony Pollard. You know, he, he's going to be our Niall Davis where he just never hits. Uh, you know, who's the you mentioned the Browns running back from a few years ago that was uh, like he Browns, maybe like Texans, where every year we're like, this is the year he usurps the starter. And maybe it never happens, but I'm fine chasing that. I, I will chase that every year until I die. Yeah. Uh, all right. What uh, what do we have? What do we have coming up on the good football show? And uh, with uh, with NBC Sports Edge, are you guys are you are you churning out? You working the projections every day? You tweaking the rankings? What's going on over there? Yeah, I do actually uh, keep having to look at the projections to make sure we're not missing anything. Our week one projections, they you know, if you're curious, I, I also have to work on those. Uh, I think our team previews just wrapped up, so if you want to read through all the team previews, go for that. I had my best ball tiers come out in this conversation. I'll probably mix up my running back tiers just a little bit. Uh, you know, nothing drastic, but if you want to check out my best ball tiers, do that. Good football show. Got really good interviews with beat writers trying to suss out some of the situations like we just talked about. So good football show, best ball tiers, other stuff. You know, it, it's it's there. Go find it. Yep. All right, everyone. Kyle tweets here. Great tweeter. Go uh, go do it. And uh, we will uh, we'll be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.